My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is Day 81, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 35 and 36, Deuteronomy 34, and Psalm 121. Numbers 35 On the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess, and give them pasture lands around the towns. Then they will have towns to live in and pasture lands for the cattle they own and all the other animals. The pasture lands around the towns that you give the Levites will extend a thousand cubits from the town wall. Outside the town, measure 2,000 cubits on the east side, 2,000 on the south side, 2,000 on the west, and 2,000 on the north, with the town in the center. They will have this area as pasture land for the towns. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them 42 other towns, and all you must give the Levites 48 towns together with their pasture lands. The towns you give the Levites from the land from the Israelites possess are to be given in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe. Take many towns from a tribe that has many, but few from ones that have few. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them, so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. If anyone strikes someone a fatal blow with an iron object, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death, or if anyone is holding a stone and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a wooden object and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. When the avenger comes upon the murderer, the avenger shall put the murderer to death. If anyone with malice a forethought shoves another or throws something at them intentionally so that they die, or if out of enmity one person hits another with their fist so that the other dies, that person is to be put to death. That person is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when they meet. But if without enmity someone suddenly pushes another or throws someone something at them unintentionally or without seeing them drops on them a stone heavy enough to kill them and they die then since that other person was not an enemy and no harm was intended the assembly must judge between the accused and the avenger of blood according to these regulations the assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood and send the accused back to the city of refuge to which they fled 
the accused must stay there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the accused ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which they fled, and the avenger of blood finds them outside the city, the avenger of blood may kill the accused without being guilty of murder. The accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may they return to their own property. This is to have the force of law for you throughout the generations to come, wherever you live. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witness, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. They are to be put to death. Do not accept a ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow them to go back and live on their own land before the death of the high priest. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. 36. The family heads of the clad of Gilead, son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who were from the clans of the descendants of Joseph, came and spoke before Moses and the leaders, the heads of the Israelite families. They said, When the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as an inheritance to the Israelites by lot, he ordered you to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophad to his daughters. Now, suppose they marry men from other Israelite tribes. Then their inheritance will be given from our ancestral inheritance and added to that of the tribe they marry into. And so part of the inheritance allotted to us will be taken away. When the year of Jubilee for the Israelites comes, their inheritance will be added to that of the tribe in which they marry, and their property will be taken from the tribal inheritance of our ancestors. Then, at the Lord's command, Moses gave this order to the Israelites. What the tribe of the descendants of Joseph is saying is right. This is what the Lord commands of Zelophehad's daughters. They may marry anyone they please as long as they marry within their father's tribal clan. No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another. For every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. Every daughter who inherits land in any Israelite tribe must marry someone in her father's tribal clan so that every Israelite will possess the inheritance of their ancestors. No inheritance may pass from one tribe to another. For each Israelite tribe is to keep the land it inherits. So Zelophehad's daughters did as the Lord commanded Moses. Zelophehad's daughters, Malahal, Zerah, Haglah, Milcah and Noah married their cousins on their father's side. They married within the clans of the descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in their father's tribe and clan. These are the commands and regulations the Lord gave through Moses to the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebu from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishka and across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Nephtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died.
Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. In review, Numbers came right after Exodus in the five-part scroll called the Torah or the Pentateuch. It included Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Numbers really has three parts. The first is a census and organizing of leadership, culture, and transitions as they prepare to move from Mount Sinai toward the Promised Land. There's this accounting and preparing sense that's happening. The second part is where there is rebellion and refusal to enter the promised land, and ultimately, God gives them what they want. They are disavowed. Yet, God stays true to his promise to deliver their children, plus Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron, although we learn later that Moses and Aaron don't enter the promised land. They wander for 40 years in the wilderness. This is a season for remembering and growth for the second generation. The last part of Numbers reads a lot like Genesis 2, where God gives the people laws or edits to their current cultural practice about how to live, which, as Dr. Tim Mackey says, are aimed to bless people in the way God intended them to live. Dr. Mackey describes the idea as was the case for Genesis 2, God is trying to create a people and a place where heaven and earth overlap so that the people can be close to God and live by His wisdom. But as we read and keep reading, humans often reject God's wisdom for their own, which leads us to the last two chapters of Numbers, which we read today, where we're left with a sense of wondering, what have we learned from the past generations and parts of the story, and what will happen to the next generation? In Numbers 35 and 36 specifically, we are reminded that the lands are given by God, not earned or taken. This land is the Israelites' inheritance, but it's more than land. As we read, we recognize it is a place like the Garden of Eden, a place where God takes care of his people and they are in close abiding and dwelling proximity to him. It's a place where our designed purpose in creation and community can be found if we obey the Lord's commands. Think tree of knowledge versus tree of life, the Genesis 2 Garden of Eden scenario. We're reminded that blood cannot fall onto the land, the place where God dwells, and therefore the story reminds us and develops this idea of cities of refuge. Dr. Reynolds points out how the end of Numbers, which we just read, used the word inheritance 17 times. 
The giving of inheritance is the focus of chapter 36. It says here in this chapter in verse 6, as it did back in chapter 27, verse 7, that inheritance shall not be transferred. Dr. Reynolds points out how the words isn't a more neutral like land, but inheritance is the term. We see in the story that the daughters yield their agency to the Lord's decision not to marry outside the tribe for the purpose of not transferring inheritance. They're willing to yield, refrain, obey the Lord's commands. It summarizes the story, which is about obedience and self-sacrifice as the offering to God, for he is our inheritance. Yet Numbers, as we know, goes before the last book of the Torah, which is Deuteronomy. And we know, having read these books, that there are two generations, one that failed to obey and forfeited their inheritance, and the second generation, their children, who did obey and are standing at the brink of inheriting the promised land as we ended Deuteronomy. And then in review, Deuteronomy is the last scroll of the Torah, or the Pentateuch. Dr. Mackey and John Collins refer to it as the first set of modern sermons where Moses is telling the second generation, after the Exodus, truths about God before they enter the promised land. Moses is reminding them of the choice they make to live by their own wisdom, tree of knowledge, or follow Yahweh God's life-giving commands, tree of life. One leads to a place of created purpose in a special place with a special relationship where God can dwell with us. Think redeemed or renewed Garden of Eden. Or we can morally defect and opt out, just as Adam and Eve did in Genesis. The end of the Torah is a lot like Genesis 3, which is the first book of the Torah. Oh, well, Genesis is. Then here in Deuteronomy 34, the last book of Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, reminded that even the best humans fail and that every leader must prepare for succession planning. Theology of Work describes how Deuteronomy 31 is about publicly acknowledging Joshua as the successor and encouraging and empowering him in front of Israel. Second, Moses' last acts are to bless, and then there is the second author, which gives a type of tribute or eulogy that is both humble and elevated. Moses is described as a servant of the Lord. It reinforced for me that the purpose God gave us is to use the agency he gave us to be his ambassador for his mission and his ways. The point is not to take blessing or to take land, to take whatever we want, or to force an outcome. The outcome, the blessing, the land, everything is God's. We have the privilege of stewarding, enjoying, and sharing creation and community in the way God called us to. Where there is some agency given for creative culture making and some clear direction on what to do and not do in order to put God on display, help others navigate to Jesus for atonement, intercede for the lost and rebellious in prayer, and be prodigally generous. The theology of work took note of the fact that Moses was not trying to hold on to his position of leadership, but recognized that the mission would go on after him. There wasn't a sense of reservation about the leadership transition, but an expectation and a sense of making ready the next generation. Moses empowers the next leader, and while he was not a perfect leader, and the Israelites were quite far from being mistake-free, Moses is still considered a great leader. God's greatness shone through him, and he was called a servant of the Lord. There's something so aspirational and edifying for me in this. The goal is not to be perfect in my eyes or the eyes of others, but to be a servant of the Lord. Remember in Genesis 12, when the Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
The point of leadership is to point to the Lord. It is not to try to make a name for ourselves. I often read and hear servant leadership talked about as an important principle. And because I teach in leadership, innovation, and marketing, I think it's important to note that servant leadership is not enough. It's a concept, but it's not enough on its own without an anchor or direction. Jesus Christ has to be the center and transformation of that servant leadership. We must seek to be a servant of the Lord. Without this, the servant leadership becomes entirely anchored on what we think service is and on what we think others want in service. While understanding what we think and feel and what our target audiences think and feel are important and should be considered, they are considered through the lens of Jesus Christ and our service to the Lord. I always remind myself, I'm a part of His world. He isn't a small or secondary part of mine. Lastly, Dr. Miller describes how our hope in this story and in life cannot be placed in Moses or Joshua. Even though Joshua is described as filled with wisdom, he is endorsed by Moses and committed to obedience, as verse 9 stated. Like Moses, like all leaders, the story is giving us the truth. He will also fail. We are given hope, though, because God himself is the only hope we have for security and for a future, as it is for Israel, it is for us. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.